0: Last week was Father's Day, and Amen. Amen. <laughs> there was a no. There's a lot of good information in there for you, and uh, so anyway, if you didn't do that, what there uh, might be something you might like to pick up. Anyway, uh, for the fir- for, for the two weeks before Father's Day, I was in uh, John chapter the 11th, 11th chapter of John. And I wanted to finish that up this morning, and I'm going to, but it's going to be at the end of the end of what I have to say, and not the beginning, because studying for that particular section, I ended up in Luke chapter 16. So if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to start out. And uh, when I started doing this, I know that it's kind of hard. You know, you might wonder how do you figure out how do how what you're going to figure out what you're going to preach. I'll get it out of here in a minute. I just brushed my teeth and can't do a thing with my mouth. But anyway, sometimes. God will drop a subject in my, in my heart. Sometimes it's a scripture. Sometimes in my dreams, God will give me a sermon. And, uh, man, I preach some good sermons in my sleep, let me tell you. I'll tell you, the fire fell in those <laughs> But anyway, so, and I kind of go there, and I kind of just start with one place, and then just kind of go where, you know, where God leads me, and that's what happened with these verses. I I thought I was going to just preach in the John and finish on because the last, uh, two weeks before Father's Day, we talked about Martha and Lazarus. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there, but we're going to start out in these verses, and you're going to probably wonder how, what in the world this has to do with those scriptures. But believe me, I'll tie it into the end, so if you'll just be patient, we'll get there. Amen? Okay, Luke chapter 16, night, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptu- sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforter, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that they would pass from hence to you cannot." neither can they pass to us and would come from thence. Should have read this in the other version, made a little more sense. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them unless they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they'll hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now this part of scripture in the Bible is one that's kind of ignored a lot because no one wants to hear about hell. No one wants to, and ministers don't like to preach about it either because it isn't a very pleasant subject sometimes. But as a pastor, I'm obligated to preach all of the Bible not just the part that's good. If I just preach the good parts of the Bible, man, I'd probably fill this place. Tell you how wonderful you are and all the things that, that you can do and you can have, and and that, that'd that be great. But the problem is God said to preach it all. And there's more in the Bible mentioned about hell than there is about heaven. Do it. Look up at it in the concordance, and you're going to be surprised. There's a lot more written about that. So I think it's a very important subject. So I don't know why we as, as pastors and people do not talk about a subject that was mentioned so much by Jesus. It was a survey done by USA Today and it said that 67% of Americans adult believed in hell. Less than 25% believed they would go there and 25% believed their friends will go there. I have a question, if you believe 25% but believe your friends are gonna go there, what are you doing about that? (laughs) So, but anyway. Now, um, some people don't believe in hell is real. But if hell isn't real, why do we bother to come to church? What's the point? There's nothing to avoid, nothing to gain. Because if hell doesn't exist, then heaven, how can heaven exist? Can't have one without the other? You know, love and marriage go together (laughs) like... Can't have one without the other. And there's two options that that we have to be able to, uh, as far as our final destination. A new chaplain reported to his duty station and asked if he believed in hell. When he said no, they asked him to resign. When he asked why, they said, if there's no hell, then we don't need you. And if hell is real, we don't want to be misled. I don't want to mislead anyone here this morning. I want to preach the truth irregardless of, of what With within here, I believe it. And that's, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not, it still settles it. <laughs> it's not, not conducive to my belief. Whether you believe in hell or not that isn't going to stop anyone from going there. Unbelief doesn't mean something exists. There are people in this world that don't believe in electricity or automobiles. But their unbelief doesn't stop us from going out and getting in our cars every day when we go places. See, unbelief doesn't affect reality. We like it to, but it doesn't. <clears throat> now, some people, they say that... Um, they don't believe that a God, a loving God, could send anyone to hell, and that's their that's their cop out or their excuse. Say, I don't even worry about it because God love, God is love, and He loves me. The Bible says He loves me, and so therefore I don't have to worry about it. But let me ask you a question: If you have a if you have a murderer, a rapist, a child molester, and all these other kind of bad things that happen in this world, and they stand before a judge, and the judge who wants to be a good guy turns them all loose. Is that okay with you? No. <laughs> no, we don't want that. We want justice. See, we want justice for things that like that, or think in God, but we don't want justice as far as the judges are concerned. We want judges to, be, to beat out justice, but then we think God, no, uh-uh. we don't want God to do that. We want God, because he loves us, to send everybody to heaven, because that's where we all deserve to be, right? <laughs> See, we have uh, penalties in place in our society for lawbreakers. When you break the law, there's certain penalties that are in place that you have. the judge has to prescribe. And uh, of course, there's uh, different penalties for different levels of punishment. If you're a murderer, you're gonna get less penalty than somebody that steals something. But in God's vernacular, if you break the law, God's law, there's only one penalty. Period, that's it. There's only one penalty. And in man's law, if you do something, if you commit a crime, if you steal something or if you kill somebody or whatever it might be, you have to serve the penalty yourself. No one else can step up and say, you know, I love my son or my daughter. And parents would do this. Most parents would do this for their kids. Hey, I wanna to go to jail and serve my son's sentence or must serve my daughter's sentence. And so we think, well, hey, that's okay. But in God's vernacular, you, you, we don't get to do that. We will serve our sentence that God has prescribed by breaking his law unless, except God allows a substitute. See, there's a difference. God allows a substitute for us. And I'm glad he allowed a substitute because we couldn't serve the penalty. Because if we served the penalty stage of breaking God's law, it'd be over. And so we need to understand that, that God has a, uh, a system in place. Now, we wouldn't want our kids to go to a daycare where they had molesters on staff, child molesters and pedophilias. We wouldn't, we wouldn't send them there knowing that they were there. We wouldn't want to do that. And yet we would expect God to send his kids to a place where these people exist. Amen. I know that when we come to Christ, we become new creatures, and we ask him to forgive us of our sin, and he does that, and the slates wiped clean. Amen. And so, therefore, those won't be, be there if they've repented and turned their lives over. But just saying that they're sorry and to get a lighter sentence and those kind of things. Because God looks at our heart. Only God knows if they've actually confessed and, and for, repented of their sin. Only God knows that. So, But I'm not, I don't care whether they're a repentant sinner or not. And I don't care if they're a Christian, if they've got that in their background. I'm still not going to put my kids in a position to hope that they don't get tempted. Right. Are you? There's some people that, that think, oh, that's all right, but I, I'm, not, I'm here to tell you, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad that you've confessed God as your Savior and come to him, but I am not going to put any kids in that position for you to be tempted, so you don't to worry about that up here because that's why people do background checks, because they want to avoid those things if possible. You have to be smart. So the penalty for breaking God's law, it would be paid for us if we don't accept Christ's payment. See, that's the key. There's a penalty for, for breaking man's laws. This is the penalty. You speed, you have to pay a fine. Now, that's a difference because someone else can pay your fine because they wouldn't know if they just send in the money. <laughs> that's, the, that's the nice thing about speeding tickets. But if you're caught in stealing something, you're going to go to jail for probably five years, and no one else is going to serve the penalty for you. Now, I can't call sin, not sin, even if the law says it's okay now that's a problem we have today see God's law supersedes man's law now when this nation was set up God's law and man's law they matched up because that's our nation was founded on God's law but nowadays we can't just because society legalizes something doesn't mean that God has see sometimes we think we can dictate to God what sin is and what isn't sin and we do that because we want to let ourselves off the hook if I say this behavior is okay then God isn't going to judge me for it. Well, hey, God don't care. God has this, has his own law system, and if you break his law, it doesn't matter what the our society says. Now, on when we break man's law, you're also breaking God's law, because God says to obey the laws of the land. Of course, that's only as long as they agree with God's law. We can't agree with obey God man's law if it disagrees with God's law. So if somebody wants up to come up to me and ask me to perform a homosexual marriage, I won't do it. I don't care what the law says. It doesn't matter to me. And so we need to decide those things in advance. It doesn't matter to me. Now, Romans 6:23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is the penalty for anyone who sins. Anyone. I don't care what that sin is. And you think, man, that seems kind of a stiff penalty. Well, when you think about it, in reality is it really isn't. If you have an apple... And there's only one little spot on that apple that's bad and rotten. And you stick that in with a bunch of other apples, the barrel with the other apples, what's going to happen to all the apples? All those apples aren't going to keep that bad spot on that apple. Make it good, are they? That bad spot is going to not only ruin that apple, it's going to eventually ruin all the other apples. See, but God wants to take that spot in that apple and cut it out and replace it with a new creation and that's what god wants to do for us and when we do that then you put the apples all in the same place you don't have to worry about that bad spot because there isn't one so we need to understand that and um, last thing i want to do is be in be in heaven of course he's going to change us we may if you make heaven you're going to be changed you think oh man what am i going to do if i think about sin and when i'm in heaven i'm going to get kicked out you'll never think about sin again when you're in heaven that's the part I'm looking forward to. Out of all the things that are in heaven that I look forward to, besides eating <laughs> and being a size whatever it is I am, <laughs> I want to be, five, six, whatever it might be, the number one thing I look forward to when I go to heaven is all these thoughts in my mind are going to be gone. I won't need to worry about imp- any impure thoughts. I won't worry about any any competition that I may think I'm in. I, mean, I don't have to worry about any of that because I'm only going to think Uplifting thoughts because we're going to be changed to be like Christ at that moment, and you think Jesus has a bad thought No, so that's what I'm looking forward to above everything else but going to heaven that in itself is a reason to go Everything else is gravy But those are the mashed potatoes <laughs> And I'm looking forward to that because I want my mind to quit being distracted you sit there and you try to pray and your mind is so distracted with what you're going to have for dinner. And now lady, the last week, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to pray and I'm trying to think, now if I got everything set to go to youth camp? Did I get everything on the list that I think they may need? And all this stuff I have to go, no, focus, 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 focus. I won't have to worry about that when I get to heaven because I will be focused. And I'm looking forward to that. Now, if you've ever lied or stolen anything, Let alone the big one murdered. You've sinned, and you've broken God's law. Now people say, "Well, I didn't murder anybody." Well, I'm here to tell you this morning: if you voted for anybody who supports abortion, you're an accessory to murder. You may not like it, but that's what it is. Anyone that you so, you better make sure who you're voting for. I mean, if you vote in ignorance, uh, maybe maybe you could get by with it. But I don't think you should vote in ignorance. If you don't know what this guy stands for, don't vote for him. But if you're voting for somebody think, well, he, could, he believes a little bit that gay, gay marriage is okay, well, what does the Bible say? So if you vote for somebody that approves of this stuff, you're voting against God. And I don't want to vote against God. So we need to make sure that we understand that God's law supersedes everything else. And just because somebody wants to be a good guy and they want to get these votes from this people, so I'll approve of this, and this I'll approve of this. But there's millions of babies murdered every year in America. I don't know about the rest of the world, but we're the murderer capital of the world. Everybody talks about crime being down. Well, crime isn't down, it's up. And they want to know why we're in such a mess. Well, maybe the person that had an answer to cancer, maybe we killed them. Maybe the person that had an answer to AIDS, age, we killed them. See, because they want to blame God for all this stuff that's going on in the world. Well, the person that has the answer, God said, but we killed them. And that's a scary thought. So when I pray, I pray pray God, forgive us our sins and forget our nation our sins. Because we have to confess the sins before God if we want something to change. So we need to pray that God will change the attitude in the hearts of the people. That's the only way it's going to be done. And we think, well, okay, all right, I understand that. <clears throat> but then Jesus throws a monkey wrench in the whole works when he gives us this verse in Matthew 5:28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in her heart. Uh-oh. Woo, you don't even have to do it. <laughs> you just have to think about it. Now, I know it says man, but I'll tell you, of the society we live in, women have got a lot of lustful thoughts, too. So we're not free from that. So if you just look at it, If you just think about how nice it would be to do that, you've already sinned. And God says you need to confess that too. Confess our thoughts because our thought pattern determines where our direction we're going to go. I can't expect to walk this way with my head this way because I'll walk off the stage. (laughs) And if you think you can go somewhere without without, uh, thinking about it, you're wrong. We we think about what we're going to do and then we do it. Before any sin that we commit in our life, I don't care what it is, whether it's taking a pen from work or whatever, it starts with a thought. Now, when these and I, we can't keep these thoughts from coming into our hearts and into our minds. But well, we just got to wipe it away, start praising God, thank you, forgive me that thought, I'm not going to think about that, I'm going to think about whatever it might be and start quoting scripture. And if you do those things, then the devil will quit bringing those things up in your heart. If you pray or praise God every time an evil thought comes into your mind, those thoughts aren't going to come up as often because the last thing the devil wants you to do is to pray. Prayer scares the devil to death. He does not care if you come to church. He didn't want you praying. He does not want you reading God's word. Come to church all you want. He don't care, but he doesn't want you praying. Now in these verses in Luke 16, 19, 31, we have a story and it isn't a parable. A lot of times people say, well, this is just a parable. Now a parable, the difference in a parable And a real story is that Jesus used parables. He said, now the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. And then he tells you what's going to happen. But see, in this verse, he doesn't say that. And in his parables, he doesn't name anybody. He doesn't give anybody names in a parable. Here, he named Lazarus. So we know just just by that alone that this isn't a parable. So this is something that actually happened. And if it's something that actually happened, then I think we need to pay a little bit of attention to it. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> it said in uh, verses 22, it said, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off in his bosom. Now Jesus himself said that hell is a real place. Right. Now if hell isn't a real place, then Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is a liar, then I can't believe anything else he said. You only have to tell one lie to be called a liar. You can be forgiven and forgiven from it. But I'm a as a liar when I come to Christ. Now I'm a forgiven liar. <laughs> I'm a repentant liar. And you can say the same thing. I don't care whether it's a little white lie that, that you come in and your mom says, Who broke that? And he says, I don't know. Or an elephant come in and kicked it over. <laughs> now you got two lies. <laughs> But sometimes if you're the only one in the house, it's, it's useless to use that excuse. So if you're the only child here this morning, you can't use that excuse. <laughs> the worst thing that happened to my kids, the last kid to leave home was that he was the only one left. <laughs> That's when you blame the pet for it. Yeah, then you blame the dogs, yeah. Those dogs are really wonderful, aren't they? <clears throat> okay, verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, fine linens and purple was the most extravagant things you could do with your money back then. Purple was for royalty and only, you know, if you had a lot of money. So he was basically, it was bad enough that he was rich, but he was flaunting his wealth. And it said that Lazarus, all he wanted to do was eat from the rich man's table. Now, if you were a wealthy man back then, during dinner, they didn't have napkins like we do. Sometimes they did, but they had napkins too. But generally what they would do is they'd eat dinner. They'd eat something, maybe some meat or greasy stuff. And instead of wiping on a napkin, they'd use bread to wipe their hands with. And then they'd throw that bread on the floor. And at the end of the meal, then they'd gather all that stuff up and throw it outside for the dogs. Now, this wasn't your neighborhood poodle. They came. If you go over to Israel, people didn't have dogs. People don't have dogs in Israel. I, I don't think we did. We see anybody that had a dog in Israel? I don't think we did because they were considered unclean animals, <laughs> and so they wouldn't have one. So here's Lazarus. He's outside, and it says the dogs were licking his sores. Well, he probably letting them lick his sores because so they were fighting over the food because the wild, wild dogs wanted this food the same as he did. So he had to fight for the food just the same as Lazarus did. And so, this wasn't a friendly little cute little dog like we have that just bark at you and, you know, nice little things, huh? They weren't. They were, they were ravenous their uh, dogs, like coyotes or something like that, wolves maybe. I don't really know. Um, it's a miracle the dogs didn't kill him. But anyway, <clears throat> so, and this would have been a very disgrace to even have the dog lick your sore because they were an unclean animal. So, it was really a, it's bad enough you'd be poor, covered with sores, and sitting out there begging. Now you gotta let dogs, unclean animals lick your sores to fight for food, so. <clears throat> now the rich man could have helped Lazarus, but he didn't pay any attention to him, he didn't care. He probably thought, what I'm giving him is enough. The scraps from my table is enough for me to make heaven. Amen, all right. And we go, oh no, how could he do that? Well, isn't that what we do sometimes as Christians? We give God our scraps? Well, if I have time on Sunday, I'll go to church. If not, I won't. You know, that show on, my favorite show comes on Sunday night, so I can't come to church on Sunday night because my favorite show's on. Or I can't come on Wednesday night because, well, you fill in the blank. We want to give God our scraps and expect God to bless our lives. That's enough of that. I won't go any more farther on that one. Uh, James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in his sin. Now, in those days... The wealthy were required by their law or custom to be able to give to the poor. Now, you read in the Bible where, where many times Jesus, they gave money to the poor because that was something they were obligated to do according to their law and according to their custom. And so Lazarus every day, Lazarus was laid at his gate every day. He was laid there. And the rich man would come and went all the time, and he seen him. And he just he ignored his predicament. And see, he was in a position to help him if he wanted to, but he could care less. He didn't want to be bothered because, hey, I don't want to give my stuff to him. I'm going to use it myself. He was, so he's very selfish. Now in verse 22 it says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now Father Abraham, he was a Jew. So he felt that his heritage or his religiosity was good enough to get him into heaven. Some people are raised in Christians' homes, and they think that, hey, because my family was Christian, I'm a Christian, I should get in. So that's what's a little bit that's going on there. So he's asking Abraham for mercy on him. On him and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in his flame. But Abraham said, son. See, he calls him son. He doesn't deny he's, a, he's, a under, he's a, under the promise. He could have, could have done so much more, but he didn't. He, he relied on his religion or his upbringing. Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that we could not pass from hence to you, neither can they come past to us that would come from hence. Now, Jane, death changed everything, didn't it? All of a sudden, the roles are reversed. And Lazarus now, he's he's in, ha, in having a good time. He's prosperous. He's, he's having a wonderful time. And the rich man isn't. And he's uh, kind of excited about this, right? <laughs> see, he asked for Lazarus to come and dip his finger in some water and cool his tongue. Now, see, he still saw Lazarus as a servant. He didn't see him for who he was. He still saw him as a servant. Tell him to come and do this for me like rich people do sometimes. They have servants, they go command people to do things, come and do it. But uh, God tells him, he says, I couldn't even if I wanted to, because there's a gulf fixed between me and them and no one can go from one area to the other. It's impossible to be able to go from one to the other. So the rich man finds himself in hell, but he doesn't ask how he got there or why he was there. Don't you think that's interesting? Because he knew why he was there. (laughs) Matthew 19, 24, it says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. See, back then they believed that rich people, if they had a lot of money, they were blessed by God and therefore they were saved. And poor people weren't blessed by God and they weren't saved. But the reality is that if you're wealthy, it's harder to get into heaven because your faith and your confidence is in your wealth. Whereas if you're poor or don't have a lot of money, then you have to trust God because you don't have anything else to trust. That's why more people come to God than, than rich people. And he says, "This I have the needle. Now, we as Westerners, we think we think a needle that you're sewing with, man, that'd be awful hard to do. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about back then. If you go into the city of Jerusalem, they have two big doors that are on every gate. And on Sunday, which was the Sabbath, they closed those big doors. So to prevent salespeople or people from caravans and things from coming in and out, they'd have to wait till, till the Sabbath was over in order to shop. But they did have a little door that a person could walk through and be able to come into the city, so it wasn't you know closed completely off. Well, the camel, some camels, they could actually get down and they could kneel on their legs and kind of crawl and mosey their way through that through that small opening. But this was a very hard thing for them to do. For a camel to do, because they have a hard time bending their head way down and those kind of things, and I thought it was interesting while well, I'm on the neck, um, I was found out that, you know that camels and giraffes and people and dogs and horses and every mammal that God created all have seven vertebrae in their neck? Don't you think that's kind of interesting? You think a giraffe would have a 100 because of their length, but they don't. See, the same designer made us all, so we all have the same amount of things. That's just for your... For your medical background experience. It's free, no extra charge. So Luke 6 24 says, But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. See, when the rich don't accept Christ and they go to hell, then they've had their consolation and a reward in this life, and they're not going to get it afterwards because there's only one way we can get to heaven. Amen. Ephesians uh, 4 8 through 10. Now, this might be a confusing scripture to some of you, but hopefully I can open it up for you a little bit. Uh, wherefore he saith, uh, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, he that ascended, what is it? But he, he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended far above heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now, all pre-Calvary saints that died... They went into paradise, which they later called Abraham's bosom. And the last one to go into this place was the thief on the cross. Because Jesus said, uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. He's the last one that went into this place. Now originally they had Hades, or not Hades, but the place of the dead. If You'll, you'll hear David and he'll say, do not leave my soul in Hades. Now that doesn't make any sense unless you realize that before the cross, there was this area inside the center of the earth. and The Bible tells you where it's at. You don't know where hell is. It's in the center of the earth because the Bible says it's, that's where it's at. So you don't need to worry about it. But inside this opening that there was, it was separated by a gulf. And so hell was on this side and paradise was on this side. And evidently, at that time, they could see into paradise. Now, I don't see the rich man asking anybody that's with him. It didn't say, we gathered together and asked this question. So there was no one around uh, the rich man at this time. So he was there. Other people were there, of course, but they're not mentioned. It wasn't a big, big party like some people say they're going to have. Oh, I'm going to go to hell because I want to go where my friends are. We're going to have a big party. He wasn't having a party here. And so but when Christ died on the cross, he descended into the center parts of the earth, and he removed paradise, and he took it up to heaven with him. And along with that, he took the keys of death and hell with him. Now say, now wait a minute, that do not make any sense. Well, in Revelation 1.18, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So he took the keys back. See, Adam lost authority. And we got death because of Adam's transgression that was passed on to us. So Jesus had to come and bring, Marine, win the victory or the authority over death and hell again uh, for us. And I can just see him after he descends and goes down and he's singing a victory march or whatever it is. He's going down there through hell and he's grabbing all these people. It says he led captivity captive. Even though they were in paradise, they couldn't leave this place. They were still here, whatever it might be. Now, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know. You can theologi- theologicalize or whatever you want to about it. I don't know really think that's a word. But it doesn't matter. The fact is that it was there and now it isn't. And there's another scripture in the Bible that says God had to expand hell. He had to expand it because why? There's more people going to hell than he planned on. He made hell for the devil and his angels. He didn't plan for people to go there. So he removed the people out of paradise and took them to heaven. And that's the place where we go when we die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But anyone before Christ... Before the cross, if you were a righteous man and you lived according to to God's ways, the Old Testament way of being saved, then you would go to this place. Not no more. Now everybody's in heaven. Hallelujah. Now I could preach a good sermon right there, but I don't dare because I'm about out getting low on time. Oh, I'm just excited just thinking about that. So I I don't know other people in hell now can see in heaven. I doubt it. I doubt if they can because they're not there anymore. It's easier when you're looking across a ravine to the other side, quite another thing to look in it, wherever heaven is now. I don't know. Wherever it is, I want to go there, and that's because that's where God is. Amen. Now, a lot of times we think, well, why was that Lazarus in hell? Have you thought about that? Why did he go to hell? Now, this would have been the perfect opportunity for God to say, if you have money and you don't give it away, or you don't give it all to the poor, and you don't do all these things, you're going to go to hell. But he didn't. See, that's why we think uh, the rich man went to hell was because he was selfish. And that's part of it. He didn't give his money away. But let's see what the Bible said, why he went to hell. In uh, verse 27 it says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 30 is the key. If you read the story, you miss verse 30, you miss the whole story. It says, But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. See, the rich man knew it was repentance that kept him out of heaven. It was not repenting that landed him in hell. And that's the same thing that lands us there today. The difference in heaven and hell is repentance for the rich man and for us. And if you expect to go to heaven and you haven't repented, guess what? You're not going to go. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much money you have because heaven and hell isn't determined by your bank account. Aren't you glad? Sometimes that red is a little more prevalent than the black. So I'm glad that it isn't my bank account. I'm glad it's something because all of us can repent. And all of a sudden, the rich man turns into an evangelist, or he wants an evangelist sent to his family to preach what? Give your money away? Uh uh. Preach repentance. He wanted them to go to his family and preach repentance so they wouldn't end up in this place. All of a sudden, he cared about someone else besides himself. But he knew repentance was the reason that he was there. And you'll notice that once he was there, he couldn't repent. There is no repentance. Say, well, God, I'm sorry now because after that it's over. And he knew it. He knew it was over. There was nothing he could do about it. He was stuck. But he didn't want his family to come to to that place. See, the rich man believed that if someone came from the dead, arose from the dead, and just came and talked to them, that they'd repent and get saved. And sometimes we have a tendency to think that. We say, oh man, if this person could just see a miracle, then they'd get saved. Well, according to this verse, that isn't necessarily the case. But I do believe that if it takes a miracle for somebody to get saved, I believe God would do it, including raising the dead. I believe that. With all that's in me, I believe, because God didn't, didn't... allow Jesus to come and die, that one little miracle would make the difference? What's a miracle to God? It's everyday stuff to God. Doesn't matter. Miracle's nothing for him. It's it's just as great a miracle to do something that's out of the natural that it is to keep everything in the natural running smoothly. That's a miracle, too. uh, Now we get to go to the verses that I started my quest when I ended up in these verses. And that's in John the 11th chapter. This is where we've kind of finished uh, two weeks ago. We were in this verse, and and Lazarus had just got raised from the dead. Now you can kind of see why I'm (laughs) going here. John 11, verse 45. The many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests of the Pharisees and counseled and said, What do we do? For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And verse 45, jumping down to verse 53, it says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put, for to put him to death. And then if you flip over to the 12th chapter and down into the 10th verse, it says, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because by that reason of him, many of the Jews went and away and believed on Jesus. Amen. They wanted to put Lazarus to death again. I mean, doesn't that seem ludicrous to you? He just got raised from the dead, and they think they can kill him. But God said that it doesn't matter. Whether someone's raised from the dead, that they're, if they're going to believe, they're going to believe. They'll believe a message that I'm preaching this morning. They'll believe your testimony. Just as easy as if someone was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Because we see that Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it didn't cause everybody to believe. Jesus was raised from the dead, and it didn't cost everybody, cause everybody to believe. So if we are trying to get our hope into these miracles or so win people to the Lord... Some things, it isn't going to make any difference what we do or what happens in that person's life. They're not going to choose God. Why? See, Lazarus knew that he needed to repent, but see, he didn't want to repent because he wasn't afraid that maybe God wants some of his money. So he didn't want to take a chance at repenting because when you repent, you turn around. We think that repentance is some mystical thing that happens in our life. But it's a voluntary thing on our parts. If we're going this way, which is to hell, and heaven's over here, if we want to go to heaven, we don't keep going this way. we got to go this way. Amen. And when we go this way, then we turn our lives over to God. Amen. And then God does require things of us. But, then, but the funny thing about it is when we serve God, and we want to serve God, and we come to him, he changes our heart. Amen. He makes us a new creature. So we may be thinking going in, oh, man, I don't want to go, go to be a Christian because I might have to go to Africa. Or I might have to give, pay tithes. Or I might have to do this or this or this or this. So they don't want to repent. But the reality is, when we repent, we want to do some things differently. And if you want to do them, it isn't an issue. But see, we have to be willing to trust God that He's going to work those things out for us. Because otherwise, it's our own selfishness, or our own pride that's going to keep us on this road. And then we're going to wake up with the rich man. Oh, he won't know he's there because. Hell, at the end of time, is going to be cast into the lake of fire. See, this place is going to be put somewhere else, too. It's going to be cast into the lake of fire. And everyone that's here is going to be cast in there with them, and there's only a a one-way ticket. There's no out. You don't see in here, it says after they served their time, they got out. See, we're used to that in our vernacular, unless you get a life sentence or a death, you know, whatever it might be. We're used to people getting five years, and they get out. Well, there's no parole from this place. And you won't even ask to be paroled because you'll know I don't, within yourself that you're there because you deserve to be there, and there, there's no repentance. There won't be no prayer, except maybe to curse God for sending you there. But there's no hope at that point. But see, there's hope this morning. See, in order, if I gave you a, 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 a vacation trip to Hawaii, all expenses paid, and I gave you a t- I have a ticket for you to go, and all you gotta do is pick up the ticket. You can't get on the plane without a ticket. Amen. Doesn't matter what else. You can talk about how much you want to go there, you can talk, you can pack your suitcase, you can do everything you want, but until you pick up that ticket, they're not gonna let you on the plane. Amen. Well, that's the same thing that happens with God. See, in 2 Peter 3:9, it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to us, usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God has done everything he can possibly do to keep us out of hell because he didn't make it for us. He had a vision, and not a vision, a plan for our lives, and that plan didn't include hell. Amen. But you can't reward someone for disobedience. You don't do it to your kids, so why do we expect God to do it? God has done everything he can that we may come to know him. He's standing there with a one-way ticket to heaven in his hand. Say, here, come and get it. All you've got to do is receive it. Amen. And that's how you get on the plane. If you expect to go in the rapture and you don't have a ticket, you're not going. Right. If you've never accepted Christ's ticket to heaven, you're not going to go. And by not accepting the ticket to heaven, you automatically have a ticket to, your ticket punched to hell. And you need to change your direction. You need to change your flight plan. God wants to change our flight plan. He doesn't want us going here. He wants us going over here. And he's done everything that he can do to make sure that that happens. Now, a lot of anyone here this morning can't say now that they haven't been warned. You can't stand before God and say, hey, I never knew this place existed. I didn't believe in it. Now I'm a believer. But my pastor didn't tell me anything about it. You can't say that because God will just rewind this part of your life and here he'll have it to you and you'll be found guilty. But you don't have to, see, because you still have an opportunity. As long as you breathe, you have an opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior. And see, and we don't have to pay the penalty. See, if we don't accept Christ, we have to pay the penalty ourselves. And the penalty for breaking God's law is death. Doesn't matter whether it's a little bruise on an apple. Or the whole thing doesn't matter in God's eyes, but God wants to get rid of all that. He provided a plan. He provided a way for us to do that. It didn't have anything to do with works. Didn't have to do with have anything to do with our bank account. Didn't have anything to do with what size we are. I'm thankful for that. Didn't matter if we're not as good looking as somebody else. If I'm not a on the front cover of a fashion magazine. Doesn't matter. God doesn't care about those things. It doesn't matter. Because when he remakes me, I guarantee you I'm going to be more gorgeous than any model you've ever seen here that's been airbrushed. <laughs> I'm going to be airbrushed when I'm airbrushed out of this world. Amen? <laughs> so I'm excited about that. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I invite you to make that decision. Let's pray. Our precious heavenly